Good evening. Good to see you this evening. If you want to get out your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 3, that's where we'll be studying this evening. Uh, we've been looking at the latter half of uh, Paul's epistles. I've been uh, just jumping into these sections of, of the New Testament and, and digging for a lot of gold. There's a lot of really interesting information in these sections, and I'm excited to study with you tonight from Colossians. So uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 tonight. If you want to follow along with us. When Jesus first ran into his disciples, uh, they were kind of stalking him. And he turned around to them and he asked them, What are you seeking? Uh, and it's a very fascinating question that he asked. Uh, those who were not yet his disciples, but were just about to become his disciples, that he wanted to know, what are you seeking? And I think that's a very important question for us to ask ourselves as well. What are we seeking? Uh, in, in our lives, there's many different pursuits that, that people around us are striving after and, and seeking in their lives. It's what their minds are focused on. It's what their time and all their effort is, is revolving around pursuing success, pursuing uh, fulfillment and the things of this world and in our families and all these different things. Uh, what is it that we're seeking? Well, as we're here together in a church building, as we're gathered uh, to study about the Word of God, we're, we're hopefully seeking God, and we're hopefully seeking spiritual things. And that's, that's very much what we're going to be studying about tonight, is what it is that we're supposed to be seeking. But the way that Paul words it in chapter 3, verse 1, is very interesting. Uh, let's read that together. Chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 1, it says... If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Paul tells the Colossians, the Christians in Colossae, to seek the things that are above. Uh, what does that mean? What all does that entail? And how do we go about doing that and following after that instruction? Well, that's what I want us to think about tonight. What does it mean to seek the things that are above? That's, that's what we see him commanding and talking to the Colossians, telling them they need to do. How do we do that? Uh, that's, that's what I'd like for us to consider. First of all, I want to pay attention to the first part of the verse. And in verse 1, notice he said, if then you have been raised with Christ. He puts this little condition on this phrase, seek things that are above. And the condition is, if then you have been raised with Christ. Well, who has been raised with Christ? Um, anybody here de died and are now resurrected? And, you know, have the Colossians all died and have been resurrected with Christ? Well, Yes, actually. Uh, first we look at that and we think, well, uh, no, there's no physical death that has happened yet that have, they have resurrected to. But in chapter 2 of Colossians, Paul had actually talked about a resurrection that has happened uh, for the Christians at Colossae. In verse 11 of chapter 2, he said, uh, "...in him you also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands." By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So he talks about circumcision. Then listen to how he relates that. Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. 
And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The way that he talks about uh, Christians is, that are in Colossae is, you have been raised from the dead. How? By being buried with Christ when you were baptized. And during that process, there is a circumcision that took place. And, and during that process, there is a, uh, a killing off of an older man and, and putting on of a new man. And during, in that process, there is a nailing of your sins to the cross as you are having faith in the powerful working of God to raise you up from the dead with Christ and give you new life and make you alive. So, who has been raised with Christ as this conditional statement states? Well, all who have experienced the power of God to nail their sins to the cross in a spiritual resurrection of baptism. So whenever we read this text, as we read what we're supposed to be seeking, the first thing that we see is he places this condition, if then you have been raised with Christ... If you have gone from being dead to being alive by the powerful working of God in Christ, seek these things that are above. And this is really the setup for the second half of the book. This is his way of summarizing the first two chapters. He has told us all about Christ and all that Christ has done for us. As Christ was God Himself who came down to this earth to die for us, to save us from our sins, that we might be filled, that we might be forgiven of all of our sins. Based on that fact that those in Colossae have experienced this, Everything in chapters 3 and 4 of this letter are stated. This is really the way that Paul sets up all of his letters. He goes through the first uh, part of the book and he talks about all the wonderful things that God has done for us. All the things that the Christians he's writing to have experienced in Christ. That they might understand their salvation a little bit better. That they might be motivated to do what it is the latter part of the book is going to exhort them to do. So he says here, all of us who have been raised from death to life in Christ, we need to seek things that are above. Well, that's an interesting phrase to think about. What does seek things that are above I mean what types of things are there it's not obviously the sky <laughs> don't seek to go to the moon he's not talking about anything like that of course not but he's referring to those things that are in the heavenly realm those things that we do not see and he even qualifies that by saying where Christ is seated at the right hand of God we might wonder, what, what are these things above that he's talking about? Well, he's talking about all the things that surround Christ and God in heaven. Things that are holy, things that are pure, things that are eternal in nature. And he's talking about seeking after those things. Well, what does it mean to seek them? To me, what really helped me with this was thinking about Alabama, where I'm from. Northern Alabama, uh, 
born and raised. And, and the thought of going back home where family is carries nostalgia. It carries a lot of, of ideas and things in my mind. There's barbecue, really good barbecue. There's rolling hills. Uh, there's southern accents, uh, which uh, you might tell I still have some of that. But there's, there's, there's all of these things that are associated with northern Alabama. There's my family there. Uh, and all of these people that I know uh, and that I'm associated with. And so the idea of seeking the things in northern Alabama is something I can grasp, something I can understand. And then we can relate that to what Paul is saying here. He's saying, seek the things that are above. He's saying, seek a location where the people you love most are. That's what he's trying to point to us. That, that if we have been raised with Christ, now we are seeking to be with Him. We are seeking to be with God and with Christ in heaven above. And we're seeking to make this life on this earth resemble that as much as we can. Uh, by, by cooking you know, in, in West Palm Beach, I'm going to cook my own barbecue to try to flavor it the same way. We're trying to mesh these two things. So how do we seek those things? I mean, these are things that are above, right? Uh, we've never been there before. I don't know if any of us have had visions of, of what that looks like. We don't really know or, or fully grasp all of those things that are in the heavenly places. So how are we supposed to seek those things? Paul tells us in the next verse, in verse 2, he says, Set your minds... On things that are above. Set your minds on things that are above. Well, how, how do I set my minds on things I've not seen? Again, I run into this problem. Do I just use my imagination? Do I just picture myself on a fishing boat and enjoying fishing all day? You know, we, we can come up with some crazy things in our imagination. Is that what Paul's wanting us to do? To picture whatever we would want heaven to be like? To just think about that form of heaven? I don't think so. Because uh, he, he says in verse 1, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. The idea is, I want to be where He is. I want to go into His home. Not that I want to imagine up some home that He's going to come into that's going to fit my desires. But that I want to be where He is. I want to be with Him. So that means that seeking things above and setting our minds on things above are all about learning and meditating on what has been revealed in the Scriptures and then longing for those things. As though that's a memory that we have and we're nostalgic and we're wanting to go back there. As though that is our, our one desire on this earth, that we're setting our minds, pursuing a home in heaven with Christ and God for all eternity. But another thing that he says, it's not just hard for us because we've never been to heaven, but it's also hard for us because we live here. So he tells us, set your minds on things above, in verse 2, not on things that are on the earth. And he's going to talk about this a good bit. The problem comes when we start to live here. <laughs> there's all these distractions. There's all these things that are in front of us that we see that are, that are temporary, that are corruptible, 
corruptible, that are vain, but they're here and they're tangible and we can hold on to them. And so we tend to seek after those things. But what earthly things does Paul have in mind whenever he says not on things that are on the earth? Well, actually in chapter 2 he's talked about some earthly things. In chapter 2 verse 8, he said, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Then in verse 18, he said, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. In verse 20, he says, If with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? You get some pictures in chapter 2 of the earthly things that Paul has been trying to help the Colossians get away from. These earthly things include things like philosophies, traditions, regulations, uh, and, and methodologies for ways that, that we can get closer to God, that we can please God. And he even mentions things that go from punishing ourselves for our sins, asceticism, to enjoying sensuality, thinking that that experience somehow brings us closer to God. There's, there's all kinds of methods that man can come up with that are earthly methodologies for us to get closer to God. And he says, I want you to be aware of those things. And I don't want you to set your mind on those things, those philosophies, those methodologies. And and what we see today is just this overwhelming self-help mentality, right? Everybody has this kind of philosophical mentality that, that they want to, to, to know the truth by their self, by their own human experience, or by their own wisdom, by their own greatness. And this is what we can fall into the same habit of doing. I mean, we, we listen to things like the seven habits of highly effective. Oh man, that's going to be so good. That's going to tell me everything that I need to know in order to live life on this earth. Or, or five steps to do this. Or ten steps to do that. We'll come up with all kinds of methods to, to live a full life and to please God even. We'll come up with these kinds of methods. These things are all earthly. They're earthly pursuits that... that men are making up instead of seeking the things that are above. We're seeking things that are below. We're seeking some earthly way to make up for where God is lacking in His instruction. Uh, and hopefully we see that there's a folly in that, right? That, that if we were to try to, to come up with a list of things that is what God really meant, but He didn't ever give it to us, there's a folly in that. So how do we stop seeking earthly things? Notice how Paul uh, told us to stop seeking earthly things in the next couple of verses. The first thing he says is very related to what he just said. Seeking earthly things is, is this selfish pursuit. And he says in verse 3, For you have died. You see... All of these earthly pursuits, all of this trying to come up with some methodology that makes it easy for me to do whatever it is that God wants me to do, 
is really self-serving. And I can't be self-serving. Because my will was put to death whenever I was raised to new life, right? I, I, I was buried with Him and the body of flesh was cut off. So all of my selfish pursuits, all of my desires to amend God's Word and make God's Word into something that's easily digestible is all self-serving. And, and Paul's trying to tell us, you're not in it for serving yourself. The commands that were given to us by God are, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And along with that comes, do everything the Lord has commanded. We can't make these lists of things that we have to do in order to please God if they take away from the whole Bible that we need to know and understand. Because they're self-serving. Deep down inside, we want to indulge in self-preservation, self-gratification, self-reliance. All kinds of service to ourselves, but whenever we were buried with Christ, ourselves were put to death. And we were raised not to walk in the old way of life of self service, but in a new way of life that is seeking the things that are above, not the things that are on the earth, because those things resulted in death. We need something different. We need. To seek the things that are above. We need to seek loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And doing everything we can to fulfill the commands of the Lord. Not shortchanging them. But how, how do we do that? First we recognize that we've died. That our, that our bodies, our wills have been put to death. And then second we realize the good news. Our life is now hidden with Christ in God. Read verse 3. It says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Wow, what does that mean? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You see the, the, the phrase there, hidden. As in, it can't be seen. Do we, do we see our lives this way? That my life is not about what I see. My life is not about what I see. My, my greatness is not about what I see. My right standing before God is not about what I see. It's not something that is made clearly visible to me in this life. That I am, I am so perfect and I am so good or I am so righteous. It's hidden. And where is it hidden? With Christ. You see, when we were raised with Christ... There was a uniting that took place. And our life went up into heaven to sit at the right hand of God. That's where our life is now. Our life is not here. My life is not here on this earth. And the things that I I see through these windows of my eyes, this is not really my life. These are my opportunities to serve God. But my life is somewhere else. My life is not here. Until I grasp this concept, I'm going to struggle to seek things that are above and stop seeking things that are on this earth. Because if I think my life is on this earth, then I'm going to seek things on this earth. But if I know my life is above where Christ is, then I'm going to seek those things. 
Another thing that this tells us, your life is hidden with Christ in God. The idea of being hidden tells us that we're hidden from accusation. We're hidden from judgment, from wrath. Paul has pointed to this earlier in Colossians as well. Look at verse 15 and 16 of chapter 2. He said, He disarmed, Christ has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. Whatever the earthly uh, things that people come up with to judge whether we're righteous or not righteous, the only thing that, that judges whether we're righteous or not righteous is what God thinks of us. And he says here that all of us who have been raised with Christ are now hidden with Him. We're hidden from those who are over the domain of darkness and the the rulers and authorities uh, that might put us uh, to accusation. He has triumphed over them. And our life now is hidden with Christ in God. The blood of Jesus Christ has made such a profound statement in the heavenly realm that no one can point to us and say, He's not good enough. Christ's blood has made us good enough. Therefore, our life is hidden with Christ in God. And there is nothing they can do to remove us from that situation of being saved and being uh, in Christ. We can remove ourselves, but they can't remove us. No one can remove us from that state. And so long as we're seeking the things that are above... There is no fear of being lost. Because Christ has made us His own. Our life is in Him. Look at what he says in verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. How in the world are we going to stop seeking the things that are on this earth? How are we going to stop trying to come up with ways to please God and and methodologies and things like that? He's told us our life is hidden with Christ in God. And he's, He's given us this statement. Christ is our life. I am not my life. If it's up to me, if my life is up to me, then there's no hope. But Christ is my life. And he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It's a beautiful picture here that Christ is the source of our lives. His blood has washed away our sins and forgiven us from all the transgressions that we have done in the past, that we are doing in the present, and that we will do in the future. As we're seeking things above and we're making mistakes, Christ is our life. And He promises to give us glory if we're seeking it. For those who are seeking after glory and honor, and and the pursuit of holiness and righteousness and purity and goodness and being like Christ and being like God and pursuing a home in heaven with Him when this life is over. He promises to give us glory when this life is over. These four verses are extremely 
encouraging for us. But what, what do we learn from all of this? Well, first of all, let's just go ahead and ask the question and think about this. Have, have we been raised with Christ? The clear picture for us in chapter 2 is that we must let God remove the body of death and raise us up to new life in baptism. We have to submit to the will of God in that whenever we're baptized... He performs a surgery. He works in our baptism to remove the body of flesh, to nail our sins to the cross so that we bear them no more. Have we been raised with Christ to walk in newness of life? And if we have, then we learn from this text, our mission, our goal is to seek the things that are above where our life now dwells. That's what we're all about. That's it for our lives. Heaven is not a lost cause for us. It is something that God has made attainable for us in Christ. We are guaranteed that as long as we seek after this, as long as we devote our lives to this, that He will provide us the life that we need for all eternity. Well, you might look at this and just be like, well... That sounds really good. (laughs) But stop seeking things on the earth, really? Stop seeking things on the earth? You know, that's really hard. I mean, we're here all the time and we're not in heaven and there's all these things going on in front of us and, and, and we get diverted and we get distracted. But whenever we get distracted, whenever we get diverted and start doing all of these things, do we have this feeling of guilt as though what we're doing is is not correctable or that that now we need some method in order to correct ourselves. We We have to do this and we have to do that and we have to study our Bible this many times a day now and we have to read and, and, and pray and all these things. Do we have these, these hard and fast works that we feel like we have to do in order to stand righteous before God? Do we come up with some earthly method to stop being earthly? Why do we make things so complicated? The simplicity of Paul's word here is seek the things above. The simplicity of Jesus' word is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's simple. But it requires us to submit. It requires us to put our will to death as we did at first. If we've been buried with Christ... We've been raised to walk in newness of life. We understand the huge, tremendous, undeserved blessing that is, that we are now made alive. We have to realize that our will cannot be allowed to go on pursuing self-preservation, self-glorification, self-reliance, self-anything. Ourselves don't work. They don't please God. They don't guarantee us a home with God in heaven. So we can't seek these earthly things. If, if we find in ourselves that, that we're still seeking after all these earthly things, even though we know that our life is supposed to be in Christ and yet we are seeking earthly things, we need, to, we need to consider whether we really love God enough, whether we really love God as we should, whether we love ourselves more than we love God. If that's the greatest commandment, I cannot go against that one. That's a no. 
I have to I have to change my heart. I have to change my life. All of the methodologies that I'll come up with don't affect my heart. But this one command is all about my heart. So how do I do this? You know, in all of our struggles throughout our lives, how do we seek the things that are above? How are we going to be effective at pursuing the love of God above ourselves? Well, we need to be thinking constantly about how we can get rid of our distractions. I mean, how many distractions do we run into that, that we think will give us some fulfillment or some satisfaction in this life as we're on this earth? How many things uh, that we pursue, that we in, enjoy and we spend so much time in are just completely fruitless for us in eternity? These are distractions of, of what it is that we're really here for. These things don't help us. These things show that we don't love God as we ought to love God. How can we cut these things off? How can we get rid of these things? I'm not saying that there's no hobby that should ever be taken up. I'll take up a hobby, but it's going to be in the pursuit of converting someone or trying to help someone see the truth. Or it's going to be with a desire to take a break so that I can grow and learn and study harder. We talked about this to somebody this morning. They're wrapped up in all their college studies and they were so devoted, they could not even think about their own studies. We need a break every now and then, sure. But is it a break that we're doing or is it a pursuit for satisfaction that's outside of the realm of God and Christ and heaven? All of our thoughts, desires, aspirations, and values have to be modified so that we are living for Christ because He's what our life is all about. That's what we're here for. We're not here for ourselves. We're here for Christ. So what stirs up your love? What stirs up your desire to serve God faithfully? How can we spend our time pursuing Christ pursuing the things that God has prepared for us in heaven above. We always seek after the things we desire most, right? The things we value the most. We're going to pursue those things. If it's a a perfect golf game, we're going to pursue that with all our time, energy, and money. How do we pursue God? How do we pursue Christ? How do we pursue heaven? We have to desire it the most. So... All of our time needs to be spent learning how to desire Him more and more. For me, the more time I spend studying, the more that I learn about who God is and who Christ is, the more that I learn about what they've done for me, the more that I learn about how much they love me and how undeserving I am of that love, the more I love them the more I want to serve them. The more I want to live eternally with them in heaven. I can't think of anything better. There's nothing better than that. So, what, what helps you? Does it, does it help you to wake up an hour before everybody else in your house does to get some quiet time alone with the Word? Does it help you to listen to music that's spiritually focused? Does it help you to read literature that's spiritually focused? But don't let those things distract you. 
Are you spending time in the Word? Are you studying maybe with others? Are you trying to help your spouse study? Are you trying to help your children study? Are you getting together with other Christians to study? What is it that helps you to meditate on, to think about, to to involve yourself in the Word? One thing Jenna's done is she's put up art in our house that just has Scriptures on it. My favorite is, His mercies are new every morning. I love that. It's right there for me in the morning to see. Uh, Right out of Lamentations of all books. To think about the fact that His mercies are new every morning. And I can look at it every single morning. We need these things before us all the time because this is what matters most. That we seek God. That we seek Christ. Jesus, when His disciples were following after Him, and He asked them, what were you seeking? He told them, come and you will see. And the disciples came. And the disciples followed Jesus. And the disciples were self-seeking along the way. And they were making mistakes as they were going. But in the end, 11 out of 12 of them saw the glory of Christ. They saw the hope that they had waiting for them. They saw the new body of Christ. And they, at that point, decided to change what they were seeking after. To stop seeking their own glory. To stop seeking their own selfish pursuits. And they lived their life to seek the things that are above. Jesus tells us the same thing. If we're seeking to be with Him, He tells us, come and see. Come and see. For anybody who wants to to be raised to walk in newness of life, That can happen right now. That can happen. You can start your new life today. God can make you brand new. And your life will now be hidden with Christ in God for all eternity. And so long as you seek Him, as as you love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you're trying to do what it is He's revealed in the Word, your life is there. But we have to let go of the things that are on this earth. It's not an easy thing. I'm not, I'm not telling you that it's easy. I'm telling you it's worth it. This is what it's all about. So hopefully you're here seeking the things that are above. Uh, to end the sermon, I'd like to read a text from Revelation chapter 7. This is one of my favorite texts to help me to think about things above. It's Revelation 7, 9 through 17. It says, After this I looked... And behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders of the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. 
Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb of the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is what we're seeking. Uh, if, you're, if you're not seeking that, but you want to start today, please make the change. Please come.